I am really, really excited to talk to you guys. Um, a few times a year, I get to talk to you guys specifically about <clears throat> um, Acts Church and, and, our, and our vision and our direction. And that's where we're at right now. We're right at the end of our, our summer semester, going into our fall semester. Lots of cool new stuff coming up. And as a church, when we very first started, we, we sought God on what, what kind of church he wanted us to be. Um, what he wanted us to be about, how he wanted us to really go about this stuff. And, and what God gave us was 13 core values. We looked through and we said, what, what makes us who we are? What makes us different than maybe some other churches? Or, or just, just what, what does God want us to be? And, and God gave us 13 core values. And you can always find them. We have them printed out at guest services if you ever wanted to look at them. You can find them online on our website. But this morning I want to talk to you about one of those 13 core values. Real quick. As we start here, are there any history buffs in the room? Anyone who's a student of history, loves history, anyone? You can raise your hands, it's okay. Real quick then, who is our 26th president of the United States? Oh, do, 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 No one? Are you Googling it? Okay. <clears throat> you're just looking for it and you're... Yeah? He was soft and fluffy. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't actually soft and fluffy, but yes. Theodore Roosevelt, often known as Teddy Roosevelt, was the 26th president of the United States. Known as one of the greatest presidents in history by most people, if you look across the board. He actually took office after McKinley was assassinated, if you remember that. He was the 25th vice president. Uh, McKinley was shot, and he became the 26th president and actually won uh, re-election. Um, he was a businessman. He was kind of uh, an interesting man in the fact that he was a general. He led the Rough Riders in Cuba, which was during uh, when they were fighting. He actually was a general and fought in the in, uh, military. He was well known, actually, when he was in Cuba as a military leader. He stood out because people said he never shouted charge. He screamed, follow me, and he took off running. Very, very interesting man. Um, and he was kind of this larger-than-life figure. Um, if, you, if you really read anything about, about Teddy Roosevelt, there was a time he was on the campaign trail, and <clears throat> before he was to speak, the saloon manager who hated him came out and tried to assassinate him. Pulled a gun, shot him in the chest, and just so happens that he had tucked into his breast pocket his speech, which was 50 pages long, folded in half, and his eyeglass case. And it went through the eyeglass case, through the 50 pages, I guess 100 pages when you fold it over, and lodged in his chest. Well, Taft being a hunter, being a man who's fought in military, he walked back, coughed a little bit, said, I'm not coughing up blood so it didn't penetrate into my chest cavity. He says, it must just be, you know, buried down in my, in my uh, muscles. So they said, well, we need to take you to hospital. He says, no, I'm fine. And he went on to, pre- I mean, to tell his entire message. Over an hour long, he spoke with a bullet lodged in his chest. And he started the message by, I mean, the, the, the whole entire thing by walking up and saying, it takes a lot more than that to kill a bull moose. That's how he started his, his speech that day. Preached, I mean, like spoke, sorry, I said preach, yeah. Spoke an entire message, an hour long, with a bullet lodged in his chest. They never took it out. It was actually too dangerous to remove, and they left it in his chest for the rest of his life. But kind of this larger-than-life figure. And he was often known for his, his quotes. He had amazing ones. One I love, obviously, because of who I am. He said this once, A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. I like that a lot. And the core value that I actually want to talk to you about today is one of Theodore Roosevelt's many quotes, and it's this. Do what you can with what you have where you are. 
He coined this once, and, and people wrote it down. It was one of his many quotations. Um, if you've been here for any length of time, and you've, you've talked to me, you may have noticed the fact that I keep talking to us about the fact that we have a calling. If we're Christians, if we have a relationship with Jesus, there's more to this life than simply sitting around and waiting to die and go to heaven, but we have a responsibility here on earth. And even our mantra at Acts Church, love God, love everyone, that's not a passive mantra. It's not that we want to develop and grow love and love for God and love for everyone just in our hearts and simply sit back and be happy with that. That word love is actually, it's, it's action. It's that we, we know we're called to love. What does love do? Well, it, it acts its way out. It, it expresses itself through our actions. And that's one of the things that we do is we, we want to love God through our, our, our actions, through our expressions, showing up here on a worship service on the weekend, giving time to God, and also to everyone. That's like something like we're doing next Sunday where we're getting together and we're going to visibly show them, hey, we actually do care about you. We're going to take the time to host a block party where we're going to feed you and hang out with you because we actually do care. And the, the message of being a Christian comes with it, um, this calling to do something. Jesus, actually, um, is obviously the one who started all of this. He's the ultimate expression of somebody who had love and did something about it. If you remember the whole entire story, it goes like this, right? I mean, since Adam and Eve in the, in the Garden of Eden, they sinned, that basically cursed our entire people, all of us who descended from him, that we were born into sin and we were all sinners. And it says that in, in John 3.16, God loved the world so much that he, sa- he sent his son here to earth and that he traded his life for our life. Basically, a, what happens is, is, is when you sin, the law of the universe says that you have to pay for it with your, with your life. If you sin, someday, sooner or later, you have to die to pay for it. Well, Jesus came to this earth, and he didn't sin. So when he had to die, he had to take someone else's sin. And what the Bible says is that he took all of our sin, because he was God, in fact, and he paid it. He paid it with his death. His love set us free from that bondage that we were supposed to live, that death that we were supposed to experience. And after he resurrected, which um, I, I always encourage you guys, if you ever get time, go back, look at our message archives, and go watch the series that I taught on Jesus' resurrection from Easter. And it talks about how, man, it, it is almost a rock-solid fact that Jesus resurrected. Awesome stuff from the fact of faith, but also from just the perspective of history on how Jesus resurrected. But after he did, before he went back into heaven, he had just a few short interactions with his disciples. And one of them I want to read to you this morning is Matthew 28, starting in verse 19. These are really um, the last words that Jesus ever spoke to his disciples. This is what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus, before he left, he had one last chance. And what he basically says to these people is this. You guys have a calling. It's not just that I came to save you guys and you to understand me, but now you need to go tell other people what you understand. You need to share that with other people. And he actually says this. He says basically to all nations. Basically he says, go to everyone in the world, to all, I mean, just everywhere you could get. But the problem I see is this, is that most Christians, even if they believe this, they don't do anything about it. They don't do anything about it, and I think that some people, some people realistically, they don't do anything about it because they don't care. 
And if you don't care, I'll just be really blunt with you. I don't think that you actually understand it at all. I think if, you're, if you say I'm a Christian, but I don't care to share it with anybody, I don't think you're really a Christian at all. I don't think it's actually changed you yet. I think you might know it up here, but it hasn't reached your heart yet. But I think there's some that understand it, but they simply don't know where to start. They don't know where to start. They hear this calling, go into all the nations, and they think, well, how in the world do I do that? Who am I? You know, how, how do I go to all the nations? I'm just one man. I'm not even really that talented. I don't know that much about God. It just seems way too big. How on earth could I make a difference? How could I do something about it? Or oftentimes I see this. They riddle their willingness to accomplish God's calling for their life with an insanely destructive word. With an insanely destructive word. And you know what it is? If. If. See, what they say is this. If I was a better speaker, if I knew the Bible better, if I had more money, if I had more time, well, if my marriage was better, if I went to the other end of the earth, maybe, if my pastor told me to, if my health was better, if I didn't have so much debt, if my church were cooler, if I was done with college, if someone taught me how to Dougie. I'm just joking with that. But if you want, I could, I could teach you what's up. I could teach you how to Dougie if that's going to get you to do something. But here's the deal. We riddle our willingness to do something for God with the word if. But let me give you a few more ifs, and let me see if these are maybe a little different. What if you were actually everything that God wanted you to be right now today? What if the current situations that you see in your life as hindrances are actually the avenues by which Jesus wants to work? What if the stuff God wanted you to do wasn't 20 years from the day, but it was right now? These guys that Jesus were talking to, and they were average. They were average. The only thing that was special at the bottom is that they had seen Jesus. Well, guess what? It's the same place that we're at. Average people, the only thing that makes us special is that we met Jesus. That's these guys who he's talking to. And you notice when Jesus talked to them, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. And you notice he didn't say, but wait around 10 or 15 years. Make sure you got a good understanding of it first. He said, go, go. You know what that means? All the way back, if you go all the way back to the Hebrew and you translate it, it means go. Means the exact same thing as go means today. There's no difference to it. He was saying, get up and go. Do something with what I have done for you. I think it may be somewhat society's fault, though. Maybe our fault, too. Maybe we let it kind of come this way. But I think it's because, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there's this weird phenomenon now that all good ideas come from this one spot. All good ideas and all great ideas, they come from this one spot. And have you heard of it? It's this weird place known as outside of the box. You've heard about this, right? Really great leaders. Well, Chuck, man, he's on fire. He thinks outside the box. You know, someone's like, oh, I know it just came to me. I was just thinking outside the box, man, and that's where I found it. All these great ideas apparently have never been found in a box. They're always found outside of boxes. But I think that there's a problem with that because I think we've let it influence maybe even our church too, and I think we do this, is, is 
we let that outside of the box feeling create these ifs. If money wasn't an issue, what would you do? If time wasn't an issue, what would you do? And if, and if, and if, and if, and nothing gets done. Or we say this, you know what I mean? Man, God has awesome plans. Dream big, what could God do? Man, dream bigger, what could God do? Dream bigger, what could God do? And then we do nothing. What was the point of dreaming so big if we weren't willing to do anything with it? It was a whole lot of waste of my time. I should have went home and I should have watched TV. And I think that maybe we let that come off into our church, but I have a radical new idea for you. How about this? I want to encourage you to think inside the box. Think inside the box. Paul, in 1 Corinthians seven seventeen, he says this, Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as, where, as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. Paul says this, It would be easy for you to get called by God and say, obviously, everything that I was wasn't what God wanted to be. I'm going to start all over new. And Paul says, no. Where you were, what you were doing, what God blessed you with, the talents you had, where you were at in life, that was part of why God called you. That's where you need to stay. And what I want to say is this, is you need to think inside the box. I don't care what you would do if you had a million dollars, because you don't. I don't care what you would do if time was an issue, because it is. You see what I mean? We can think outside the box, but see, that really doesn't have application. What would you do, what you can, with what you have, right where you are? Inside the box, what can you do today with what God's blessed you with, with what time God has given you, with what energy, with what effort, with what knowledge you have? Isn't it possible that where you're at right now is where God wants you to be and where God wants you to start moving, doing what you can with what you have right where you are? Mother Teresa said it really, really well. She says this, if you can't feed 100 people, then feed just one. Somehow we, we do that, don't we? We think if I can't make a big impact, it's not worth doing anything. It makes a difference for that one person. Maybe you can't feed 100 people, but maybe you can feed one person. You're still making a difference. I think this, there are people in your life right now that God wants you to help. There's a sphere of influence in your life. What I mean by that is there's people that God has surrounded you with, not by accident. We wonder, who who am I going to share the gospel with? Who am I supposed to influence? Well, take a look around. Who's God put in your life? Friends, family, coworkers, people who you actually have a connection to. It's hard to come up to some guy you're walking down the street and you've never met before and tell him he needs Jesus but people who you have a relationship with, you can share how your life has actually been changed by Jesus. You can give witness the fact that this is who I was, this is who I am. Man, Jesus has really made a difference in my life. And you can be with them there and you can help them through their faith walk. I believe that there are talents that God has given you that are ready to be used. Not ready to be developed. There's still some of those, but there's talents he's given you that right now are ready. They're ready to be used. And that there's ways right now today that you can use what you have to do great things for God. How, though? It's easy to speak in theoretics, but then there has to be some sort of application, right? How do I actually do this? Well, there are many different ways that you can start to live this out. I mean, obviously, being an influence for Jesus and the people that are right around you is a great way to start. Um, helping in your community, whether it be through uh, Acts Church, because we do a lot of kindness events for our cities, uh, or if it's just yourself, helping out with a different organization. 
But the one that I want to highlight today, the one I want to spotlight is this, serving inside of your church. This is where I think it really, really starts. I don't know if you noticed or not, but me, as a person, I am all about the local church. That's what I think. I think that a group of people coming together, encouraging each other in our faith, working together to change our immediate community, is the answer to the entire world. I don't think it's some super giant plan, some weird scheme. I think it's just this simple. Communities of people getting together, encouraging each other, and touching the people who are right around them, and then that happening in every single community. And that's going to change the world. Obviously, churches are important. I've talked to you about this a few different times, why it's important. Um, I've told you about how it's important because you get plugged into a place where you can hear from God. Obviously, most people don't have time to research and and delve into God's Word. And that's what I do throughout the week. And I bring you something that I think God wants you to hear. Also, it's a great way to obviously get connected with community. We have subgroups. We have all these different opportunities. And you can meet friends. And you can start relationships where people can keep you accountable. But I think there's one other part that maybe uh, you're missing. And it's this. The church is a great way to start, to start your life in service to God. It's the first step. It's the first step and the most easy one for us to take. Serve is is really simple. The definition of serve is to answer the needs of. To answer the needs of is what serve means. And Jesus modeled it when he was here on earth. If you have your Bible, I'm going to turn to, um, to Mark 10, verse 35. There's a story, and um, James and John, who are, who are brothers, actually, um, who Jesus called the Sons of Thunder, which is like the coolest nickname ever. I'd name my band that if I had one. Um, but James and John, they're the sons of Zebedee. They came to Jesus, and this is what they say. Okay, it's a story. They say, Teacher, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked. They replied, When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one of us on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? He's talking about how he's going to die on the cross. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we're able. It shows you the fact. If you, if you ever wonder, these guys were numbskulls. Honestly, some of them, their responses, you're like, okay, I'm, I wouldn't have been dumb enough to say that. Like, that was really dumb. Wow, you're arrogant. But what's funny is Jesus actually says this. You know, actually... You will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. Basically saying, once you do start following me, bad stuff is going to happen to you because people don't like me, they're not going to like you. He says, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared these places for the ones he has chosen. Well, the other ten disciples heard what James and John had asked, and they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said this. It's kind of like little kids, isn't it? He calls them together. Okay, time to... This is like the, the message, the end of the day, right? Everyone gets in the fight. It's like Brady Bunch time. Everyone come together. Let me explain what's going on. This is what he says. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man, and that's what Jesus calls himself, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Man, Jesus comes and he says this. In this world, you know you're powerful because a lot of people will serve you. 
But he says, when it comes to my kingdom, it's the exact opposite. You want to be great in my kingdom? The way you get great is by serving a whole lot of people. That's how I know that you're great, because my kingdom works the exact opposite of the way this world works. And it literally says in that verse, Jesus Christ says that he came to serve. So real quick, how on earth, if we say that we are Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, and he came to serve, could we possibly ever think that we are not supposed to? Are you saying that you're better than Jesus? That's the reality. Jesus said, when I came, I came to serve. Are you going to follow me? So for us to say, well, I'm following Jesus, but I don't need to serve, you're basically saying the fact that you're better than Jesus. Don't stand next to me, okay? (laughs) I don't want to get struck by lightning when that comes down. That's basically what you're saying. Not only that too, but if that's not enough that Jesus demonstrated it, he also commanded it. He commanded it with his life. In in the book of John, in in, uh, chapter 13, verse 12, this is what it says. Another story. The story goes that um, Jesus was sitting down with his disciples, <coughs> pardon me, and he takes a wash basin out, and he says, I'm going to wash your feet. Well, just to parallel that, nasty, okay? Back in that day, sandals, walking around, disgusting, nasty feet, way worse than even ours today, and most of you think already that's pretty gross, washing someone's feet. But it was something that a very lowly servant would do to their master. They would wash their feet to make them clean. And Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to wash your feet. Well, obviously, they were like shocked. Even some of them said, no, there's no way you're washing my feet. I'm supposed to wash your feet. And he says, no, I'm washing your feet. And he forced them basically to let him wash their feet in demonstration. And it says this in verse 12. He says, after washing their feet, he put back on his robe and sat down and he asked this. Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. What he does is he washes these men's feet and he says, see, I'm doing this as an example. Now, do you think what Jesus was saying is I literally want you to wash each other's feet? That's the goal here. What he was trying to make sure is that for the rest of the world, we would constantly have nice, clean feet and we would wash each other's feet. No, it's not the point at all. This was a job that was to be done by someone who was a lowly servant. And the point wasn't the washing of feet. The point was what he was describing serving each other. He says, look, I didn't think myself too great to serve you guys. Now, don't you ever think that you're too great to serve someone else. If I did it, I'm the Lord. I'm, I'm the messenger. You guys are the ones who follow me. I'm not too great to wash your feet, so you're not too great to wash someone else's feet either. And he says, you need to do as I have done, and then God will bless you. You need to exercise what you know. I really... Uh, I really like Perry Noble. I don't know if I ever talked to you about him. I think a, a few times. Um, and he's a great preacher from down in the south. And I love southern preachers. I think they can just yell a lot and it's fun. But um, one of his statements that I, I completely love and sync up with is this. Saved people serve people. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, if you follow me, my command is that you serve. Saved people serve people. 
And really what it comes back to is what he's saying is the whole idea of volunteering, it's, it's really not optional. He says, if you belong to me and you're my follower, I am a servant. So to be like me, guess what you need to do? You need to serve. I'll say this, as bold as it may be, you will never come close to Jesus if you never, ever serve. You will never get so close to Jesus if you never serve. You'll feed yourself with God knowledge, with good feelings, with holy experiences until you become fat and obese on godly things. And you'll sit around and do nothing and you will not understand who Jesus is. Anything we take in is meant to then work out through our actions. Anything we learn, we're supposed to exercise. And that's how we become a healthy follower of Jesus. If you want to know Jesus, you need to serve like he did. And then you'll know him even deeper. Why is this so important? The reason I see it is, is actually pretty simple. When Jesus came, right? Son of God. And when he came, you think that it would be all about him, right? It's all about Jesus because he's the, the son of God. But what's crazy is he said, when I came, it wasn't all about me. It was all about them. Jesus, the son of God, said that when he came to earth, it wasn't all just about him. It was all about them who did not know God. And he says, the reason why I came wasn't just to make myself glorified. The reason why I came was to die and make sure that those that were far away from God could be reconciled back to him by my death. Jesus said it was all about them, those that are far away from God. Luke 10, 1 and 2, it says this. It says that the Lord Jesus now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. What was he saying? Was he saying that literally the harvest fields were ripe and we need more farmers? He's talking about a spiritual, a spiritual landscape. And he says, the harvest is plentiful. There are so many people that need to know about my sacrifice, need to get reconciled back to God. But he said, there's not enough workers. And you need to pray that God would send more people to follow in our footsteps, to bring that message of my death on the cross to those who need to hear it. Here at Acts Church, since Easter Sunday, we've had 34 different people start a relationship with Jesus. 34 different people. Yeah. That's like miraculous. There's some churches who don't see that, and they've been around forever. And this is, we're coming up on our first year in, in, in about a month. And we've had 34 people give their life to Jesus just since Easter. It's amazing. But what's awesome about it is that God isn't done. God isn't done. It wasn't those 34 people and we're finished. God has bigger plans. We're starting subgroups right now. We're starting Alpha right now. Last year, Alpha, three people gave their life to Jesus after Alpha. This time, we're running it bigger than ever. We're starting at the movies right now, which is a whole series pointed outward to bring people who are far away from Jesus into a place where they can go to church, feel comfortable, get connected where I can explain to them the message of Jesus. More people are going to be coming. And that's what God's saying is the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Right now, there's teams of people who work diligently 
to provide and set up and work through and create the system of Acts Church that happens on Sunday mornings for our worship experiences. But what happens when there's two, three hundred people here? I mean, what happens when next spring there's 200 people here? When this next year, a year from now, there's 300 people here? I mean, we're, we're not even a year old, and we started with 15 people, and we have almost 100 people every Sunday. Do you think God's done? I don't think so. What's going to happen when we keep growing? More people keep coming. More people want to know about Jesus because there's a lot of people in this area who still haven't heard the real gospel. They've heard a lot of religion and they've heard a lot of other stuff like that, but they haven't come to a place where they can just hear about Jesus. How are we going to do it? The answer is exactly what Jesus said. More workers. More who are willing to serve. You still might be thinking, what could I do? I don't have any talents. Are you talking about me? Yes! Oh, real quick. Are you talking about me? Yes! I'm talking about you. You, if you're thinking, is he really talking about me? Yeah, I'm talking about you. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are called to serve, okay? If you don't yet, I'm not talking to you yet, okay? If you say, listen, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's cool. And you're here as a guest. You're here as a guest to hear about Jesus Christ. But if you're here and you say, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm talking about you. You are called to serve. Is it sometime down the road, maybe, maybe in a year or so when you get everything worked out? No! No! Now! That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, you're a Christian. Are you called? Yes. Later? No. Now. That's what God's saying. He says that where you are, in your life, what you're doing... Whatever you know, if it's day one or if it's day 3,001, it's time to serve. It's time to get active with your faith. What I want to do is, is something that's really, really easy. So you can do what you can with what you have, where you are. And it's really, really simple and really easy. I think the best place to start when it comes to service is right here, in your church. This is the best place to start. And from there, it can work out to all different things. Serving in your community, serving in all different areas in your life. But I think the most easy thing is to say is is we start right here, this worship experience. And what I'd love to do is is basically we have this this strategy, and it's really, really simple. It's called Serve Now, which makes sense, right? Because I'm screaming. But I I can have two people come up here. And what I want you to do is pass these out. Everyone go ahead and take one. Everyone go ahead and take one. You know what? We need pens, too. Darn it, I forgot about pens. Can we grab some pens? Go ahead and steal some. Pass those out, too. And this is a really simple questionnaire. And what it deals with is this, is that at X Church, one of our other core values is that we're people, not programs. I'm not going to try to create a bunch of jobs and say, hey, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this, and try to point at you. But what I am going to do is this. There's basically seven areas at every single weekend service where people work and people serve to be able to create a worship experience where people can get close to Jesus. We need help on every one of the seven. But I'm not going to tell you, you know what, I want you to work with kids if you're like, I hate kids. I can't stand kids. I would flip out. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But what I'd love for you to do is do this. Really simple. There's seven areas, these seven teams. And I'd love for you to take a pen, write down your name, your contact information, and check the areas that actually interest you. What actually interests you? You still might be thinking, am I supposed to fill this out? Yes. Are you a Christian? Yes. Then fill it out. If you have a relationship with Jesus, 
Fill it out. Here's our plan, okay? Very, very simple. You fill out a form like this that talks about what you like. We're going to take time to talk to you guys. Say, hey, we'd love to know what, what, what really interests you. What are these things are you really passionate about? And here is our goal. Plain and simple, very easy to understand. Our goal is that every person in Acts Church would serve one time a month. One time a month, you would come to a worship experience, and instead of just showing up just to partake, you would show up and you would help. The idea is that it's an easy way to get plugged in. That's literally only 12 times a year. Very easy place to start. And it's not like I'm going to make you be outside, like, I don't know, cleaning a dumpster or something like that. These are really cool opportunities inside of the service. There's stuff like being on the greeting and goodbye team and getting to welcome people as they come in, welcome people as they go out, helping carry stuff in and out, all these different areas that we do for the church. Some of them take a little bit more special talents, like obviously worship. That's one that has to be worked out. I'm sorry, but if you can't sing, you're probably not going to be on the worship team for a while. You need to work on that one. But my guess is there's another talent God has given you that can be used today. You also, maybe you can't sing, but you can say hello in a really nice voice. Hello. Welcome to Acts Church. But the goal is this, is that everybody who's part of Acts Church would serve, plain and simply, one time a month. Now, I'm busy. I couldn't make my, make my month. Does that mean that I'm not a Christian anymore? No, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian anymore. But the goal is that you serve every so often because it's going to lead you to be closer to Jesus. Real quick, take a step back from this as you're filling it out, but connect with what I'm saying, okay? Am I doing this because we need help and because I'm trying to get you to help Acts Church so we can grow. No. The reason why I'm doing this is, is really, it's about you, because I don't believe you're going to get close to Jesus if you don't have an opportunity to serve. And secondly, it's about them. We don't need more people serving here so we can just do a better job of what we're doing. We need more people here because God is going to keep bringing more people who need to hear about Jesus. And we need to be ready for six months from now when there's 200 people sitting here on a service. We need to have people ready who are willing to serve, who are willing to say, I want to help with this because I know God is doing stuff here. People are getting saved and lives are being changed. You're meeting people in the community. This isn't some average church where I just sit back and relax. I know that I want to be part of something that's actually going to change my community and it's going to make a difference for God's kingdom. That's what this church is about. And you say, I want to be a part of that. I'm a Christian. It's time for me to serve. It's really simple as saying, listen, once a month I could show up and I could help. If everybody does something, somebody doesn't have to do everything. That's the goal. Saved people serve people. And this place, this worship experience for our church is a great place where you can start serving. Not stop serving. This isn't the end all be all. But it's a great place where you can start serving. Real quick, just to finish up this service. If today you heard me say all these different things and the one resounding truth that you keep hearing in your head is this, sounds great, but I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know you're talking to people who have a relationship with Jesus. I don't. I don't. And like I said, the, the message of Jesus is this miraculous love that he came and he paid for our sins. It says there's nothing we can do to earn that salvation. It never came down to that. We could have never paid for our, for, our, for our sin debt. But he paid it for us. And it says that all we have to do is believe in his resurrection and trust in him 
put our hope in him for our eternity and call him our Lord, which means start letting him control our life more than us. Saying, God, I, I need you. I need you as my Lord, and if you want to change some stuff in my life, I'm willing to do it because I understand that you did so much for me. If that's where you are right now, I want to give you an opportunity. If everyone would just close their eyes, bow their heads, and this is to give honor to the people around you. If there's someone here today that says, listen, all that stuff makes sense, but the problem is this. I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you to lift your hand, raise your, eye, raise your head, and look at me in the eyes. I want to meet your glance, okay? Raise your hand, look at me if you need to say, today I need to start a relationship with Jesus. Anyone today? Okay, I want to finish this by praying this prayer, and it's for all of us. God, I pray to you that you would work in our hearts, and you would, by your example and by your command, you showed us that we're to be servants. I pray to you, God, that you would work in our hearts and you would get us fired up about serving for you, Jesus Christ. Not as just an obligation or another way, but God, knowing that as we serve, we're going to get closer to you, Jesus. And we're going to make a way in which more people who don't know you can find a home where they can come close to you. I thank you so much, Jesus, for what you're going to do this morning. It's your name I pray. Amen.